I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Formula for Success, in association with F1 Manager 2023. I'm David Coulthard and raring to go on the opposite side of the table, like a coiled spring, is none other than Eddie Jordan. Oh, you struggled to get that one out, didn't you, DC? <laughs> I've got it for some reason. Oh, it was a long day yesterday at, uh, at that uh, Grand Prix in, in Holland. Um, you've obviously struggled to come back here. Well, you know, I spend all weekend, all weekend talking. So you can hear in my voice because we're back here in Monaco across the table from each other. But I've noticed either you asked for the table to be put long ways or our very kind hosts have put us further apart than normal. Um, I think you can no longer have a swing at me, if that's what you mean. Absolutely. Uh, I can't even get to you. Oh, well, I thought normally you can do. Oh, we're touching, oh, we, we touching can. hands. We can touch touching fingers. Hands. There yes, you go. Okay. Here we go. Did you, did you get a tingle like I did when we touched there? Not in the same places where you get your tingles. Okay. All right. All right. We'll discuss off air. We'll okay. discuss off air okay. where the tingles happen. Uh, the thing is that um, what makes me a bit apprehensive about these one-to-one meetings in front of you is what happens after this. Uh, because invariably, we go later to the pub. Ones, you, you, you take me to lunch and then that lunch becomes dinner and... Um, you go home in a body bag. And um, so <laughs> I don't think I'll be doing that today. Oh, hold on. I've cleared the rest of the day, especially for you. <laughs> well, so I'll... I have my son. Killer is coming to see you today. Fantastic. Well, he used to, to work. Colleague. He used to work with me at Whisper. He helped build Whisper ah, to the juggernaut that it is now. Did we, we did give him a thank you, didn't we? Uh, uh, verbally, possibly, yes. Certainly not in folding terms. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll take him to lunch as well. Uh, good. Right. Here we are, Monte Carlo, Monday morning, after the Grand Prix. I've been busy there, you know, doing the talky bit, watching what was, I thought, a really exciting race. What have you been up to? I've been really, really busy. I did, uh, ba, 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 ba. Uh, Wednesday night, I did a, a really nice gig in Cannes for Sunseeker, launching a new boat. Oh, the boats are uh, available, uh, listeners. Of course. Um, and here am I uh, speaking as an oyster person. It sort of seems like confusing. Other but boats are available, there listeners. There is no confusion because one is sailing and one is, is a motorboat. And then uh, the following day, we played at Andy's party. He's 50 uh, on the beach, which was nice. Andy? With, with Hen- Hen- Andy Patterson. And Andy, he is a guy, one of the guys I played with on the boat at Monaco during the Grand Prix, and he had the most wonderful Heather Small. Do you remember Heather Small? Heather Small, uh, village people, not, no, not village not people. Village people. <laughs> what are they called? Village people, my God, you are pissed. Hold on. <laughs> it's M people. There you go. Look, See? I knew it was one of those. And M people, one of the greatest songs of all time. Look for the hero inside yourself because it has so many applications. Uh, and I remember when we had a Peugeot engine in Formula One, that was the song that they sang to sell the car. So that was the next day and then a really good friend of mine um and actually you could have done with his 
wife, Davina, she's Davina Katz, is an amazing uh, divorce lawyer in London. And, uh, and, and, uh, and um, but she's not cheap, David. So you probably wouldn't have hired her. Neither's um, divorce, Eddie. And uh, Neither another fifty divorce. birthday. She's not fifty, but um, Jason Hurst, her her lovely hubby is, and uh, I know him from uh, banking circles. So um, I've been really busy, and then I spent all day yesterday doing my notes for today's show because I wanted to see exactly how the Grand Prix panned out, and it was electric in many respects. It was you a mess. watching it. Did I enjoy watching it? One of the times that I really did enjoy watching it, I think it was uh, compelling viewing um, because the intrigue about the weather was... Weather always plays. Bernie always says, I should wet the track. I should put fire hoses out on the track because most of the dry races are dead boring. And Bernie said, the only time I get a really, really good, exciting race is when the, the weather plays such an important role. And actually, he's right. Because when you have that unpredictability, um, you never know what's going to happen. And I love the intrigue about Max being called into the pits quicker than Perez uh, at that, when it was drying out, that, that was strange to me. That showed me, we'll come back to that later, but that showed me something that's very definite inside that team as to who the favourite is. And of course, that's clearly obvious. Um, I don't think Perez is going to be in that team next year. That's the vibe I got from it. There was too many little instances where I think the favouritism is very much in Max's favour. And I don't think Checo is going to be able to put up with that much longer. Well, I hear you. And as someone who's been in a team where at various points I thought my teammates were getting favouritism, the reality is, and you know this yourself, EJ, maybe slightly different for Jordan when if you had budget restrictions at various points when you're running the team, but a, a team like McLaren, in terms of when I was there with Mika and I was there with Kimi, and a team like Red Bull, they may bring a test item because they've only managed to get one sure. test, amount, test item out, but they provide both cars equally. And it's down to the drivers to exploit that, you know, the, the current regulation of cars and, and the racetrack to their best ability. Max is just a wee bit quicker. You know, no, Checo, no, no, not a wee bit, a fairly significant well, bit. Well, on average, the stats don't lie. And if you take out, you know, anomaly type qualifyings, he's almost three tenths quicker on average than Checo. Now, that's obviously built as the season has gone on. Because sure. the beginning of the year, Checo hit the ground running, he drove brilliantly, won, won a couple of Grand Prix. But since then, he's he's had the yips in qualifying, and that puts him out of position. I think he he drove a very strong race at the uh, the weekend. He made a brilliant choice to come in yep. and and take the uh, the intermediate tires early. That's as he as he often does. As he often does, that was a great decision. His decision thereafter. Yes, he was leading Max, but he didn't come in. And the moment the lead car doesn't come in, the second car. If the, the engineer goes, bring my driver in, or the driver says, I'm coming in, the team will service that car. So although it looks like, you know, Checo was left out and Max was brought in, Checo can deal with that by saying, guys, I'm in the pit lane, because they will never say, no, you have to drive around again. The driver at the end of the day has the, the feeling for the track and the knowledge of whether he thinks he can stay on the racetrack or not. So you can't always say, oh, the team should have brought him in or the team should have left him out. You've been there where you've, sure. you've instructed your drivers to hold position because it was the right thing for the team. Okay. Now my answer to that. The driver in the lead of the race generally. Now it could be different in Red Bull. It could be the person leading the championship. It could be the all sorts of different parameters. Um, but in the case of yesterday, there's no doubt Checo made an amazing decision to come in for the wets at the time he did. And he built up a fabulous lead. And that was brave. 
because it was early, a very early call that paid absolutely handsomely for him. And well done for that. However, then I look at the same situation. The tyres had to be in the pit wall, David, in the, in the pit lane, because the, dry, the two cars were very close to each other. And, and Max just peeled off, went in, got the new set of slicks on and went. I just want to know, because when you heard the, the radio callback, you, you, you heard Checo saying, my God, has Max undercut us? So did he know? My guess is he didn't know. Did Max know? I think maybe it was Max's call. And I don't disagree with what you've just said. However, it is a further little marker in my mind, whether it's your side of the story or my side of the story, it's a further marker to show me that I think uh, Checo will not be there next year. Okay. I'm going to summarize by saying he has a contract. He found himself in Red Bull Racing having been relieved of his duties from your old team, yeah, which is now Aston Martin, and he had no drive. Red Bull gave him a drive. That's given him a fresh re, uh, lease of life. He's won Grand Prix. You know, he's a superstar in his home hometown. He is a very good racing driver. Quality. But what he's up against is Max. And Max, like a Schumacher, like a Hakkinen, like a Hamilton, like all these exceptionals, he's not as consistent as that. And you know what? He's got his own... He's got to own his qualifying in the same way that when I was doing a pretty average job in qualifying, I couldn't blame anyone else. End of story. But the answer, to, I need the question answered. Will he be there next year? We interviewed on Channel 4 show, we interviewed Christian, Steve Jones, handsome Steve, as you know, asked Christian that exact question, saying that Helmut Marko has been a little bit, let's say, vague as to the contractual situation. Christian answered very directly, he has a, a contract for next year, he'll be driving for us next year. Perfect. Now, that answers the story. It does, but as we both know, <laughs> it's Formula One. <laughs> it's Formula One, and and it may well change. I'm thinking of making a comeback. Actually, in the state that you look like this morning, I think you should change that uh, particular decision because I don't think you're ready for any type of a comeback. I, I ran here. I ran to the studio from my apartment. It must be at fifteen least... minutes late. You had me hanging outside the door waiting for you. Look, what is it with old people and being early? I um, was I was a we- I was what was called fashionably late, and you're here half an hour ahead of the call time. What's yeah, the problem with you? Because I'm anxious to get on with this. I want to do it as professionally as I can, and uh, I'm looking at you across the table. I can't see your eyes. Where have they gone to? <laughs> they're in there. They're, they're deep within my soul. Anyway, let's get on. I'm sure yes. people don't want to hear about your eyes. Yes, right. Okay. So we're going to go back to Formula One in a little while to talk about the very interesting and I've got to say slightly bizarre story that's going on with Felipe Massa. But first, it's time for a celebrity story. Over to you, EJ. This is a person and a family, I should say, as a group, because we know the Jordans, uh, know these people maybe 35 years. Uh, we've skied with them and we've been on holiday with them. We, we have a home in Cape Town together near each other. We also have a it's place in It's an old folks home. Um, it's, uh, it's not a folk song because he did, sang and wrote probably some of the greatest songs of all time. Mike Rutherford of Genesis. So I'm going to tell a few a little legend. stories. He's a legend. Absolutely. But then it's Mike and the Mechanics. And lest we forget, because, you know, uh, the living years over my shoulder. Living uh, years, turn my it on. favorite, favorite song. But it's hugely emotional, isn't Oh, it? that's why I love it. It's just... Because I know deep down you're shallow, but deep down 
I have a big heart and a lot of emotion. I doubt that. I've been trying to find where that heart might be for a very long time. But anyway, uh, Mike Rutherford and his family, Angie and, and, and the kids, uh, they kind of grew up with the Jordans. And when I spoke to him recently um, at a golf day, um, I said, you know, Mike, do you mind if I do something uh, on my podcast with DC? And he said, sure, I'd love to. What do you want me to do? And I said, well... Um, Make up a story. <laughs> <laughs> make up yet another story. So um, I'm going to try and ask you to send us a few voice notes and then we can, um, can listen we play to what in? you're going to say. And we're going to play it in and then we can enlarge on what the stories are after that, if that's okay. So Perfect. Mike Rutherford, Genesis, ladies and gentlemen. Wonderful, wonderful person. So a Rutherford Jordan story. I often cycle with Eddie, especially in Cape Town, uh, joined often by Adrian Newey. And it's a wonderful coastal road. Ed is a strong cyclist. On the way back, we have a coffee break. Uh, I'll tell you, some of the stories I hear from Eddie uh, and Adrian about F1 are unbelievable. I mean, there's an amazing book there, unprintable, but in fact, it makes my world, the music world, look almost quite honourable, and that is saying something. I never saw Eddie drive a racing car, but I've skied with him. I think it's the same thing. Um, he's only got one gear. That is non-stop down the hill. The thought he might turn or slow down for a black run or a corner um, is not on his radar. I ski behind him because it's safer. And I think in a sense that's how he lives his life, flat out. And we love it, love him for it. Hopefully more skiing to come. We're in Spain, Soda Grande, going on Eddie's boat down to Porto Banus for dinner. We go there on the boat and on the way back, the weather turns horrible and nasty and the storms and rain and black clouds. And it's quite hairy, actually, pitch black. So I'm beside Eddie. He's skippering the boat. And he's there at the front of the boat with his baseball cap on backwards and lit by the glow of the dashboard. And the rain is coming in and he's dripping off his glasses and his chin. And I think, isn't it amazing that this guy, can, Eddie, can skipper us back to Solagrande Port safely? He then turns to me and says... So, what the fuck do you reckon we are then? <laughs> so he knows me quite well. <laughs> oh, my God. That's brilliant. That's a brilliant he's voice. He's such note. a cool guy. I love the voice as well, don't yeah. you think? He should be on the show here. He's absolutely nailed how I view you. You know, I've said to our listeners that you're a bit of a Tasmanian devil. You know, you're like the... Hang on. What? He was talking about a strong cyclist. He thought, how about I got to do a Tasmanian yeah, but you do, But you do live in a kind of crazy, flat-out way. I've never, have I been skiing with you? I don't think so. But I can imagine you just going, toodaloo, shoo. Now, I am a bit of a manic skier, I uh, have to say, that I, I took it up late. Um, my first ever time, first, I'd never been skiing until Jean Alessi won a championship in 1989 and he invited Andy Stevenson from, from uh, Aston Martin, myself and his team um, to Chamonix to, um, it was an ice race and we stayed in an amazing hotel and it was the first time I ever put skis on. Anyway, let's move on. Mike. Yeah, uh, Mike, I've seen you on stage with him. Was he not uh, at one of your charity nights in London? Absolutely. Um, I've played with Mike several times. I played at his birthday uh, with, with Jamie, Jeremy Clarkson and that, that was a bit mad. But anyway, never. I'm not going to talk about that. But there's a couple of little things that I think I just need to add to that because to give a flavour of the quality of the this person, his family and Angie and Marie, our big pals uh, play 
quite a lot of golf together. She's an accomplished golfer. Uh, and Mike is a member of Sunningdale, which is also uh, part of the whole family situation. But anyway, um, once upon a time, 1999, I won the French Grand Prix uh, with Heinz Harald Frenzen. You're welcome. And I blew uh, up while uh, leading. Um, why do you say that all the time? It's because just it's very true. annoying and it, it's not accurate. It is accurate. Go no, on, you Luke. screwed up. You put the wrong tires on again. Your team failed and we got it right because we got the strategy right. Uh, actually, and we won you are right. I didn't blow up. Yeah, it was a strategy call. I, I just went for the 50-50 No, and got it wrong. actually, your teammate finished second, who we really thought was going to catch us on the line, uh, was Hakkinen. And um, so anyway, back to the story. Um, as it was happening, uh, not quite like what we saw yesterday with the huge UFO in Holland but there was a good feeling about Jordan and Formula 1 in Ireland because it had never been before and there was never an Irish team so we were asked we were going back for the breakfast the uh, RTE the breakfast show the following morning immediately after the race uh, and we happened to go early and I knew that Mike Rutherford was, and the band uh, were playing in the Olympia and for whatever reason he must have heard from somebody else that we were going so there was this we were ushered into this little box uh, and we watched it the gig it was amazing and then this this guy one of the guys with the band came and picked us up in in the office or in the, in, in, in the suite and uh, said look guys um, we want to make a little introduction with you on the on the stage which i thought wow that's really nice so we get on the stage and people go a bit crazy because they mike rutherford was playing in the band but then there was heinz hardhan just won the race that day and myself. And uh, I'm trying to figure out, well, uh, there's a drum kit there. What's all this about? <laughs> so the next thing is, big hallelujah and a big interview with, with Heinz Harold, which was wonderful, which Mike did. And um, I played I played a couple of songs with the band. So that was really quite cool. A uh, couple of thousand people. Mike is an amazing artist. And yes, I played with him, but there's also other little stories. And the final story, just on that music side, because... Um, we were all stuck in Cape Town, which was not a bad place to get stuck in for, for, the, for the lockdown. And, um, and, and, and Mike mentions Adrian Newey, and Adrian lives beside us, as indeed uh, I live beside uh, Mike. So we're all pretty close together. This is like an old folks home, isn't it? Well, it is actually. Funny enough, we're getting into that because uh, Mike's house is up on a, on a height looking down at the, at the water and, 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 and Robben Island and all of those lovely places that you can do in Cape Town. And um, we decided, or he decided to ask me, AJ, can you um, go through all the great intros of all the great songs, uh, write them out and send them to me and see what you think, and we'll try and mix them together uh, and uh, we'll try and get some melody going and get some tempo going, but try and mix the songs so as they're actually in the right key and various other things. So I put all of these songs together, uh, showed them to Mike, and then we put on about eight or ten shows in his house on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And we opened the verandas and, and played to this hospital underneath and actually became hugely successful, but hugely emotional because people had their lights of their phones on. Uh, we come on at eight o'clock at night and Mike was amazing for that. Well, look, that sounds absolutely fantastic. And for those that liked your style of music, I'm sure that helped their recovery. For those who didn't, I'm, sh I'm sure there must have been people switching off their life support machines just so they didn't have to hear well, you on the there drums. Was, there was very little of me on the drums. I think it was all Mike on the intro and the guitar. And he played, he'd range from bass to lead. And, and, and he's got an amazing way with him. Of course, he writes a lot of great stuff. Right, let's bring it back. We've already touched on uh, the Checo Perez rumours about next year. And I'm pretty much sure that all he has to do is pump out some solid results and he'll be there. 
But the other story that's been sort of brewing up recently is uh, regarding Felipe Massa. Um, oh, don't for, get me off on this. Well, <clears throat> I'd like to get your opinion on it because for the listeners, he started legal action against the FIA in Formula One, alleging that a conspiracy prevented him from winning the World Championship in 2008. That was the year, of course, Lewis Hamilton took his first title. So a bit of background. This all goes back to the, the Crashgate scandal when Nelson Piquet Jr. deliberately put his car into the wall in Singapore in order to help his teammate Fernando Alonso, who went on to win the race. So Massa was leading that race before the crash, but didn't score any points that day and eventually missed out on the championship by one point at the end of the season. When Crashgate, as it became known, came to light in 2009, it was deemed too late to change any results. But this is all resurfaced because of recent quotes attributed to Bernie Eccleston. He apparently said that both he and Max Mosley, who was the president of the FIA at that time, were aware of what had happened during the 2008 season. But they had decided not to do anything in order to protect the reputation of the sport. How does this play out? What's, what's, what really is the end game in this? Nobody knows. He didn't finish the race in the points. He didn't score points. A number of incidents happened. And yes, there was blatant skullduggery. But the fact is, Massa had a very tough time because he also thought uh, in Brazil that year that he was going to win the championship. And uh, I was involved with, if you remember, Timo Glock was passed by Lewis at the very last corner of the last lap, which enabled Lewis to win that championship and take it away from the family. They were already rejoicing in the garage, if you can recall. So it was a very, very tough time. But you know what I find strange about this? This must be eating up Felipe, who was a lovely man. It must be eating him up for the last 15 years for him to actually bring a case at this stage. So this is what I don't understand. Folks out there, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm a driver. I'm representing a driver. I'm managing somebody. I want them the very best for that driver. And suddenly you go to him as, your man, as the manager and you say to him, I want you to crash the car, which is what happened. It's, it's actually unbelievable, but it, it is no, what Has it ever happens. happened to you? Has anyone ever come to you and said no, something like that? No, everyone told me, please stop crashing the car. <laughs> well, I can, that's usually what I used to say to my driver. But the fact is he was instructed to crash the car at a certain time when, when Alonso had made the stop. So he made the stop before Massa did. Yet again, Ferrari. What is it about Ferrari? Because they screw each other up every given moment that they can get. They did it again yesterday with the tyres. Okay, uh, Leclerc tried to give them some uh, justice and said uh, he made the call very late. But these things happen. Don't give me that. Yeah, the tyres coming to the car late That's, is never a good thing. How many times has that happened in recent years? Four or five times? I, you know, you've got a better memory for that than well, me. Well, I'm telling you, this is not something new. Felipe came into the pits that time when PK crashed the car. He came in, and what happened? Ferrari let him out of the pits early with the fuel line still attached to the car, and the mechanics had to run down the end of the runway, the, the, the pit lane. They released it, but Felipe finished outside the points. So yet again, I think Felipe needs to be a little bit careful as to who to point the finger at for the blame. Ferrari are shambolic at the moment. But ladies and gentlemen, I hate to say this. They've been shambolic for a very long time. And I know you said that you would give time to Fred, Fred Vasseur. But 
that is a shocking team at the moment and there's no other team that's behaving as badly as them in the pit lane and, and, and shame on them because they've got such fans and where are we going next? To Tifosi and the place will be swamped with Ferrari fans. They, those fans deserve better. The team is appalling. Surely it can turn around though. No, how? It's a culture thing. <coughs> Are you all right? Um, excuse me, I've got a bit of a dry throat there, but I'm getting emotional about going well, back to Monza. Wasn't, it wasn't dry last night, was it? <laughs> no, no, of course not. <laughs> right, so just on the spot, summarise, is there any legs in this? Is Felipe getting anything out of this I don't other think so. than publicity? If it was me, Felipe, I understand the hurt that must have been happening here now when having 15 years later brought this up, but turn the page, my man. I love you very much. You've been a great supporter and a great friend in Formula One. Felipe, rest easy, turn the page and move on. Wise words. Formula for Success is brought to you in association with F1 Manager 2023, giving you unparalleled control of your chosen F1 team and a brand new mode that allows you to rewrite the season on your terms. Our good friends at F1 Manager 2023 have released a big update to the game this week. So you'll be happy to know, EJ, this is the introduction of team switching, which will give players the opportunity to swap teams during the season. So the question to you is, uh, during the Jordan heyday, which was a very small window of uh, time when you were winning Grand Prix, but anyway, during your heyday... Thank you, David. You're welcome. If there had been any team which could have tempted you away, which team would you have liked to run? Well... Uh, there was a number of them. At that time, of course, in the heyday, uh, was McLaren. Uh, for me, they were the most sophisticated, most stylish, and you drove for them. In fact, both the teams I'm going to talk about, Williams was the other. I mean, you, you were very lucky. For somebody with sort of minimal talent, you, you got extremely lucky, didn't you? I mean, honestly, look at it. I mean, did you deserve to be there? Well, I, I deserved the opportunity. I probably didn't deserve to stay, in, stay there as long as I did. It was nine seasons. I think it was because you were kind of calm and you never appeared in front of the, the, the limelight of the media or something like that. You were just Mr. Nice Guy, weren't you? You've changed a lot since then. Well, look, I, I was a grafter. You know, I'd turn up on time, really? do, do what was asked of me and uh, be the, you know, not be the first to leave. And this is what I, I, advice I pass on to my son. Just be reliable. Just do what you're asked to do. And you're very employable if you do what you're supposed to do. But you turned up late this morning. Very late. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so how are you? You're contradicting yourself here. But mitigating circumstances. <clears throat> my scooter was down at my office because when I left to go to the Dutch Grand Prix, I left from Fonvier in Monaco. Yes. And I live on the other side of Monaco. So I ran here. Otherwise, I would have been half an hour late. Yeah, but the... Oh, you came in by car. Okay, from the airport. I came back last night from so the airport. So what time... Would you have seen the bed last night at? Half past. Half past four, five, six? Oh, listen, I never look at the, the actual hour. I just look at the minutes. <laughs> anyway, we move on because this is getting boring for the listeners. The question is what team would have attracted? I mean, obviously, it would have been everyone's dream to manage Ferrari. That's for sure. Uh, because there's still that lure. And you I'm still sure you could. And you, <laughs> absolutely not. And let me please tell you, in your case... Um, I want to ask you the question, could you have ever, was there ever a little carrot that would actually, if Ferrari came knocking on the door, would you have gone there? Well, I, th I think we, we, we touched on this at some point in the past where I did actually go to Paris, meet with Jean Todd in his apartment near the Champs-Élysées. Um, my manager at the time got into the conversations about what 
the basis of a contract could be. And in the end, decided that for me, staying with British teams was better. And that led to you earning a pound out of Eddie Irvine, because had I gone to Ferrari, you would have been stuck with him at Jordan. I don't think I would. I had already made a decision. He was leaving one way or another. And um, no, I say that. Sorry, Eddie. I, I mean that <laughs> tongue in cheek. Eddie Irvine, for the avoidance of doubt, he has a reputation and it varies as to what that reputation is. He was a breath of fresh air. If you think that I'm a little bit crazy in the way I think and went around my business, you want to have a, spend a couple of years with him, close hand. He was insane. And, but insane in the right ways. You just never, he wouldn't train. I said, Eddie, please try and get yourself fitter because we used to take him out for, with Barry. My trainer used to take him out and he said, Eddie, this guy is hopeless. But that's <laughs> Eddie Irvine. You couldn't control him. But if he was at a nightclub, he was there all night. That's it. And he said, listen, I'm good enough to be in a nightclub and I can do my exercise there. I don't need to be in a gym pumping iron like these idiots. And he ridiculed all you guys who were serious. Yeah, he did. But he, he was a very fast racing driver and a Grand Prix winner. And really, you know, had Michael Schumacher played the team player instead of um, uh, Kimi or was it Hakkinen? Hakkinen winning the championship in, Brazil, in, in Japan, Japan that time. Yeah. Um, Eddie really should have been world champion that year. He would have been unbearable, though, as a world champion. Oh, he's unbearable, full stop. Never mind anything <laughs> else. So you've already touched on Monza. Now, I didn't realise that you had had success in Monza as well, 99. Did, did Heinz Harald or one of your drivers win there? Funny thing that comes back to me about Monza. Um, yes, we were. I won't say, actually, in most of the other Grand Prix wins that we've had, there was a, a, an element of fortune. And um, so things played into our hands. Um, and I know you criticise uh, me and I'm criticising you because you think you should have won so many different Grand Prix because you thought you were invincible. But actually, that's not the case. In my case, um, we were on the front row of the grid alongside your old pal. Um, I think it was Hakkinen. Um, yes, it was Hakkinen. And Hakkinen led the race. Um, during that time... Um, we're running second, very strong. Hakkinen couldn't shake us off. And I think Hakkinen was surprised because uh, Frenzen was on his tail all the way and he pushed him into the first chicane just after the pit straight. And he went off. Frenzen went on to win the race quite handsomely. And um, standing on, it was the first time that you had that new podium ceremony uh, in Monza. And, and I don't know, I was growing up as a kid, in Ireland, there were a couple of races that came to mind. Obviously, people thought a little bit about Le Mans because it was a special race or a special name. But you talked about the British Grand Prix, you talked about Mon Monaco, but always Monza came up because the Ferrari connection. So to stand on the podium in, in Ferrari listening to the Irish national anthem, I promise you it was very emotional because, as you rightly say, we were a small team, but we'd beaten all the Ferrari and all the Tifosi, but they actually were on our side. The Italians wanted us to beat McLaren. That was absolutely, if they couldn't have a Ferrari win, Jordan should win because that was the love affair that we kind of had with them, the underdog. And um, so we got massive support in Italy. And I remember Ron Dennis getting to the real nub of the story. Uh, Ron Dennis pulled me aside afterwards and he said... Jordan, at least you've won one Grand Prix on merit. <laughs> I said, fuck off, Ron. <laughs> but anyway, Ron, I still love you. Believe me, I promise you I do. <laughs> DC does too, and he's still counting all that cash you gave him. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs>
that would seem like a good time for us to say, Eddie, thanks for your time. It's been good to be just over a metre away from you here in the studios in Monaco. And, uh, well, I'll see you next week. That doesn't... Didn't seem that would have been very, very easy because I was uh, taking the Mickey out of you most of the time, and um, I feel we've just started the show, and now you're telling me it's over. Well, you know, I'm a bit fragile. Are you? Yeah. Well, I go to Grand Prix and I work. You're, you know, off on yachts and you're hanging no. out with your superstar friends. I was tired on them after playing two days in a row. I have to say, I felt I felt my age on Friday. I said. What am I doing? You know, I'm 75. I'm out till well into the early hours of the morning. I've been gigging at a party, having drink that I shouldn't have been having. Uh, and then then early the next morning, going, doing the sound check at half 11. And half 11 in the morning time, I'm talking about. That's to do early. a uh, it, it is when you've been out the night before like I was. But anyway. EJ, thank you very much. Yeah, Until fantastic. next week. There he is. There's yeah. the old Irish pirate. Yeah. Bye-bye, everybody. Goodbye.